When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm excited in this episode to be joined by the R&B singer-songwriter Leon Bridges, whose music first started turning heads in 2014 and has only gotten better since. We met up this summer in New York, not long after the release of Leon's sophomore album, Good Thing, and in the conversation you're about to hear, we discuss the childhood performances that sparked his earliest creativity, and in this case that was as a dancer, even before he discovered that gorgeous voice of his. Of course, we also talked about his evolving music tastes, how he first began delving into the throwback soul and vintage R&B that informed his 2015 debut album, and his current goals for continuing to expand his sonic palette as he begins to look toward album number three. Plus, after the Leon interview, a little something from my archive. I was listening back to a 2007 phone chat I had with Jack White and found a morsel I want to share with y'all, so that's coming up right after this. LSQ podcast. Um, when was the first time you came to New York City, where we are, where we are meeting currently? Yes, um, the first time I came out to New York was for a Shinola gig. Yeah, I played at Shinola, and it was just me and the guitar. And I was wait, that was your first trip to New York. I just want to pause for a second for listeners. I happen to know that that was. You know, that was to play a show when you were in the process of getting signed and all totally. of the stuff coming together. So it was like a pretty big show. Yeah. And to be your also your very first time in New York City. It must have been, that must have been intense. Yeah, it, it, it was. I mean, I was excited to be in New York for the first time. Um, but it was, you know, scary at the same time, you know, seeing that, you know, people responding to my music. And uh, at the time I had two singles out on SoundCloud and um, I remember being booked for the show and I was just like oh crap like I'm not a good guitar player I gotta play in front of all these people and all this kind of stuff but like yeah that's first and, time and right and so that was just say th- uh, four years ago that that happened so mm-hmm. d- could you would you have imagined back then that that by now as recently as now um you would be in this completely different situation where now you're here in New York. It's sort of old hat to you almost already <laughs> yeah, at, this, sure. at this point. I mean, when you came here to visit for that show, what were, what was your feeling of best case scenario of what might happen in the next couple mm. of years with your music? 
Man. Um, like, what were you like, if I can just get to this place with sure. this in the next few years, this will all have been worth my time? For sure. I mean, like, I don't know what I wanted. I mean, like, I, I mean, my thing was, like, I wanted to be able to support my family um, financially. And then um, there were a couple of things that I wanted to do, like, like a tiny desk concert in... I don't know, and, and, and find a, a record label that would su support, you know, what I wanted to do artistically. And that was it. And right. that was like around the time I was having meetings with uh, Columbia Records and right. Atlantic and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> right, right. But I mean, you, your frame of reference at that point for people you knew who had managed to get somewhere with, with music you know, who were the sort of the artists, the more humble aspirations, you know, who, who was mm. someone whose career in recent years, you were like, if I can kind of mm. achieve what they've achieved, that would be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, man, uh, around, I mean, around that time I was and you know, even currently, you know, I was looking up to artists like Leanne LaHavis and, and James Blake and Frank Ocean, um, Miguel and, I never thought at that time that I would ever um, be in the same place with those people. Um, I mean, and some of those guys I call my friends, you know, and so it's amazing, um, you know, where life brings us. But yeah, those, those are the people that I looked up to. I can see some threads or what I think those artists might have in common, but to you, what are those, what is it about what those artists do or the way they present themselves in the world that feels like you know, what do what those artists share in your mind? James Blake and Leanne LaHavis and so forth. Yeah. Um, or what do you think that the music that you're most instinctively drawn to, what do you think the qualities are in the artist as a whole mm -hmm. or the aesthetic of the music that always kind of intrigues you? Well, I've always been a lover of R&B. And, and I would say that that's kind of like the common thread with, with all those artists. Um, but it's it's... It's unconventional R&B, right? Yeah, for it's sure. like what you might not mm -hmm. call R&B as your first description of it, but like that's like if you're going to really break it down to what it is, mm -hmm. that's what it is, right? It definitely is unconventional. Um, but you know, like, I, you know the root of root of it of it all is, you know, R&B and and that's kind of what I was drawn to in the beginning. Like those guys are great songwriters and and their approach to um, that genre is, is is very unique and so okay i know that you only started playing the songs that we've heard from you as an artist you know shortly before this first trip to new york that you were talking about mm -hmm. but did you perform did you perform music or were did you perform in any other capacity as a kid what, what were your first experiences with being creative in front of an audience or something mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah the first time I performed in front of an audience was in high school at um, our senior show and I danced to This Is Why I'm Hot by I think his name is Jibs or something like that. <laughs> and uh, it was crazy because like in high school I was like the shy guy, the, you know, the quiet kid in class and nobody, none of my peers knew that I could to dance and so it was a shock to my whole class um 
Was it like some Napoleon Dynamite shit? Like, were you just <laughs> almost? Yeah, like because <laughs> <laughs> you were, you were, you were secretly on your own, just you know, busting a move at home and yeah, yeah. working out routines and stuff for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like heavily influenced uh, by Usher and, and, and of course Michael Jackson. Right. Um, I remember seeing like uh, the 40th anniversary concert. Um, I was like in seventh and seventh grade, and that's kind of what sparked my my love for dancing. And how long had you been <laughs> dancing on your mm-hmm. own, as the Robin song goes, um, in your room before you? Mm-hmm. F- when did this this performance in high school? I mean, for, from, yeah, from a little sure. kid, a little kid. Or? I mean, yeah, since I was like twelve, right. um, about twelve, thirteen, and, and I remember <laughs> me and me and my homies we used to. Um, you know, we used to pretend, you know, like we were, you know, boy bands and we'd get out on, on the, you know, on the front porch and like come up with, with routines and all that kind of stuff, you know, like any, um, you know, kid you right. know, back around the, back around that time. And, um, but yeah, that, I mean, that was, yeah, I started when, when I was 12 years old and I didn't, um, dance in front of an audience, um, until I was, about 15. Right, right. Yeah. So you had a few friends who knew that you danced, who you would do. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, and uh, why do you think you didn't, was it just shyness that made you kind of put off, like, showing showing your moves in front of people besides your friends who, who you were doing it with? Or? Yeah, for sure. Um, shyness. And then, like, um, I never thought that I was, like, good enough Um I guess comparatively to some of my my classmates who were awesome at it. Right. And so, yeah. And because I'm intrigued and I wonder, is was it a similar thing with playing music where when you first started doing it, you felt like you had to just do it in private and and didn't feel like you were ready for an audience even when you started playing for audiences? For, sh- for sure. Um, and And more of it was like, you know, trying to sharpen my craft. You know, I had just picked up the guitar, um, had just started songwriting. Um, so tell me about what inspired that. What inspired you to pick up the guitar in the first place? Yeah. Well, when I got to college, I went there initially to get my associate, associate's degree, but also um, hopped into the dance program as well. Um, and so before I got there, my, my my brother, my older brother, he he, uh, he went there first. And there was this group of guys that he had met um, who were from, it was crazy because like they were from the hood, but they were taking like ballet and, and, and modern dance classes. And so like that inspired me to, you know, to kind of take some, some technique classes. And <laughs> when in my, in my downtime, I met this, this uh this chick who was her name was Kyrie who was a dope guitar player and I remember one day she was on her way to class and I was like yo um you mind if I show me your guitar while you're in class and I was like hey can you show me some chords and she she uh wrote down like this little like simple chart it's like a minor e minor <laughs> and that was like my first time picking up a guitar. Did it feel, did something feel good about it immediately, about just making the noise with it and holding it and everything? Did it appeal to you right off the bat? Oh, oh, totally. Um, I mean, 
and then I, I mean, I felt like kind of good because, you know, I was able to kind of like to get it down pretty quick and, and strum, and it, it, it felt felt awesome because I had seen a lot of, you know, kind of always aspired to to play guitar and and write my own songs. So how long were you sort of just teaching yourself guitar before you started start you know writing tunes? Mm. Man, that was about about a year. Right. So you you learned how to play other songs first. Yeah, yeah. Um, I it's funny because like I used to like take those same chords A minor E minor and just sing this some of the songs that I knew over it. Right. Um, and so that was so what were some of those songs what were some of the songs you first like taught yourself to play perfectly yeah um there was this one song called Fiendin by Omarion and it was like and I know when I'm away you miss me all day got me going crazy girl I'm feeling you when you need to be relaxed lay down on your back know who you can have you know, so that yeah. was like the first one. And so that, and it must be interesting kind of transferring songs that were fully produced, radio tunes that you had heard into just these kind of stripped down acoustic renditions of the songs. Yeah. It kind of turns them into something totally, totally, totally different. Yeah. And you can kind of do that with anything, you know, and of course the melody will change a little bit. But, right. If it's yeah. a, it, right. And that's some, I guess sometimes the testament to like what's a really good song is when it works, when and, it still sounds dope as just like the guitar part. Exactly. And so the the first couple of songs that you started writing, what what was sort of the feel that you were going for? Yeah, so I, so I remember when um, I, f, I f, um, kind of made the decision to to start writing songs. I remember sitting down with a homie who actually lives here now, but we grew up together in Fort Worth, and um, I remember asking him, I was like, "Who are some Neil Soul artists?" Um, cause I, I felt that that was like a cool alternative to like traditional R and B. Yeah. Um, and so he wrote down like Miguel and, um, Frank Ocean and all that kind of stuff. So I went and checked those guys out and, and, and at the time I was listening to a lot of underground hip hop. Right. And so before I got okay on the guitar, um, I used to, I used to download beats from Bandcamp mm. and the first song I wrote was a song called Conversion and I remember going to like the open mics and plugging plugging in my iPod playing the beat and singing over the beat and um, yeah that was like one of the first songs I wrote and did you like that song Conversion did you like it right away I mean did you feel like yeah did it I knew like <laughs> it's crazy like everything that that I was writing around that time well course there's a couple of jams that um you know i would write and i just kind of scratch it but like i i kind of knew as i was writing it that that it was a dope song right i mean did you feel like you had discovered uh a, like a pleasure zone that i mean it it must have been exciting to be you know already like an adult a young adult but already an adult and kind of suddenly open the door to this outlet that you know, you had had dance as a creative outlet before, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, did it sort of feel like, what the fuck is this? No, yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> no, that's sort of like an abstract I mean, question. No, but. exactly what you said as far as like the pleasure zone, um, because... Welcome to the pleasure zone, Leon. <laughs> 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 um, 
because you know it was awesome being able to express myself through dance when I was in college um but I, I remember having to um kind of step away from school to um pick up some extra hours to help support my mother and so in in that downtime is was when I was able to work on the music but it was awesome that you know I was like oh wow you know found another outlet for you know my creativity and, and I was like oh this is dope I can you know write songs and like and then when I would go to like the open mics and and, and play them like people were digging them right you know? and was it also sort of like a, a thing you f felt like you needed for catharsis or you know just like mm -hmm. I'm sure it's stressful like having yeah. to support your family and stuff like that sure, having to take sure. a step away from college to deal with that kind of a thing like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to have something that's a create outlet for expressing what's going on with you also must have I mean is is that still like when you're working on songs are mm. you trying to tap into uh, getting something off your chest for sure yeah it was it was definitely therapeutic for me um, to be able to um, write songs strum on the guitar and, um, and, and that kind of vibe. do you think you like figure things out about yourself by writing songs or do you th do you have you ever sort of gained uh, sort of an insight into your own brain by a, mm. a lyric that came out of you hmm yeah it's crazy because like you know I don't really look at it like that um, I don't know when I when I write yeah may, I, I guess so maybe in, in this like recent when in a process to write my second album um, you know I definitely kind of learned more about myself there's you know there's places on this on this album that I would have never been open to um, writing about, you know, two, three years ago. Right. Um, so it definitely is a reflection of, of my growth, for sure. So was there early on, was there any point at which, in those first, you know, handful of months or first year or so that you thought that you were at the beginning of doing what might become a job or a career? Or did it at that point seem like just a thing that would be for your own expression mm. and on the side? Yeah, I, I mean, I had no um, aspiration to do it on the level that I'm doing now. Right. Only because it seemed like something that was just too far away, like impossible to, right. to reach. Right. Um, and, and when I was in the middle of it, I was focused on and like getting better and, and improving and this, the open mic that I would go to is, is is the spot that I met Austin Jenkins who I mean if it weren't for him um, I wouldn't be where I'm at now right Austin from White Denim yeah. who um, obviously have been instrumental in making some of your early music and helping mm -hmm. to play shows with you and, and that sort of thing Definitely. I mean what did he what <laughs> In essence, what did he slash those guys say to you that persuaded you to go for it bigger and like let them yeah. kind of show show you some ways to go? Because it sounds like you were approaching it so humbly. Like, what did they say to get you to jump full, both feet in and and go real hard on it? For, I mean, for me, I mean, around that time, like, you know, there were a couple of guys who you know would hear me play and and offer to record for me. And um, some of them just didn't like really uh, stay true to their word. Classic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now you know that that's like seventy-five percent of people 
quote unquote in this business. Exactly. You're like, yeah, you're never exactly. going to do that thing you just said yeah, you yeah. should do. <laughs> and uh, Austin, like, I don't know, it was just something special about him. And I remember, like, I met him before that, and everybody knows the story of I met him because of our love for Wrangler denim. And I was wearing my high waist Wrangler denim that one night, and Austin's girlfriend at the time was like, yo, those are dope. My boyfriend loves Wranglers. And that's how we met. And so, boom, boom, fast fast forward to <laughs> that night at Magnolia Motor Lounge. And Austin was like, yo, I love your, your sound. I'd love to um, record <clears throat> your music in, a, in the analog um, yeah. country western R&B like vibe. And right. I was like, oh, that sounds dope. He hit me up a week later and was like, you ready? And I was like, okay, cool. Went yeah. to his house. Follow through. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I went to his house and I played all the jams I had and we recorded them on the phone. He came up with some garage band treatments. <clears throat> then he called up some guys around town and the first yeah. song we recorded was Coming Home. And, you know, another interesting thing is obviously, so this Wranglers story, you know, you've had a, a fashion aesthetic for a while now mm-hmm. that is very throwback and so obviously that's... You know, the high-waisted, it may be basics, maybe wearing high-waisted jeans all over the world now, but um, at the time it yeah. was a mm-hmm. niche choice. For but sure. I know that also your, but your music, the musical influences back then were not actually some of the super retro soul mm-hmm. music that you early on were compared to. Mm-hmm. That wasn't mm-hmm. actually what you had been listening you hadn't actually been listening totally. to Sam Cooke and Otis Redding you had been listening to the things you've, you've already mentioned sure. so what inspired the fashion aesthetic what, did mm-hmm. you, what made you dress this way yeah it's a, a lot of different uh, things so I, when I was in college dancing when we would perform certain pieces like you know we did a lot of, a lot of Bob Fosse and mm. <clears throat> at the time I was in, I, I was digging like Gene Kelly and that kind of vibe. And so for the, the pieces that we would do, we'd have to go to the costume shop, pick out an outfit for that certain piece. And so like being in the costume shop, there was like a whole bunch of vintage clothing. And I used to like take some of that yeah. home. Yeah. <laughs> and um, well, Gene Kelly loved a high-waisted situation. Oh, no, totally. <laughs> and so that was like kind of like my start with um, pursuing the whole vintage aesthetic. Also, um, I remember being on Facebook and seeing this photo float around of these dapper black men wearing suits. And it turns out it was um, the group Street Etiquette. Okay. And um, I had never seen uh, black men, like, in current times <laughs> dressed that way. You know, right. and so that was an- another thing that sparked my pursuit for vintage. And so did the... It sounds like you were taking influences from the dance stuff, you know, as well in the early days of making these songs. At some point, did they did they start to combine? I mean, do you feel like they're getting closer together where there's more, where your performing is more an outlet for both things? Because the look has been, you know, mm-hmm. sort of blended into the whole thing and I'm sure there's opportunities to bust some moves during your show or whatever. But mm. do you want to do more incorporating more dance into mm. your creative career. Definitely. Um, and, and now I'm kind of taking, you know, baby steps to, to get to 
almost at the level where like the way like Beyonce dances and like all right you know I've I've been built for this um it's crazy because everything that I learned in college prepared me for what I'm doing now you know everything from like getting me comfortable on a stage and and you know when I'm doing photo shoots you know I can you know move in a way that boom 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 makes it you know for a dope photo right but um yeah when I when I dance on stage now it's a um kind of experimental and in the moment but I definitely want to get with a choreographer and kind of sharpen um that side of me again because it's and it's, it's also funny because like when I was dancing in court and doing choreography I used to go on YouTube and, and look for a, a, a bunch of songs to to choreograph to and that's what kind of built my musical taste right and so once you started hearing some of the references that people have compared your earlier songs to, is that when you went back and kind of dug into some of, yeah, like the Sam Cooke kind mm-hmm. of classic soul stuff? Like, how, how did that root of, dis- how did that proceed? Mm. Did people give you recommendations for, or did you just go on a deep dive? Yeah. So so what happened was, like, I I had wrote uh, Lisa Sawyer, and, and that right. song's about my mother. And I remember playing it for a friend and he was like, he's like, wow, man, it sounds like Sam Cooke. And I was like, I don't even like really listen to Sam Cooke, you know, like that. And so that's when I started to kind of dig a little deeper. And, and he was he also put me on to a lot of uh, gospel music from the 40s and 50s. And, and I had never heard soulful gospel music like that because I was raised on the Donnie McClurkins and the Kirk Franklin's mm-hmm. um, contemporary. Yeah. And so that kind of would um, cause me to uh, dig a little deeper for the new album for the, for the second LP, it is decidedly more modern sounding um, than the first one. Definitely feels like a 2018 R and B album. Mm-hmm. How much of kind of really just wanting to assert a modern sound was, was a part of that. I mean, how much, intentionality did you go into making this newer record with Mm -hmm. of of having it not be as did you want to sort of broaden beyond being pegged as like throwback vibe guy totally um yeah so i think it was i think the the change was kind of inevitable because i felt like i had hit a wall when it came to trying to write more songs like coming home and I was like everything that I needed to say within this style is is right here in the first album there's no need to you know keep um writing this way and so um when I first when I first got off the road to write for this album the songs started out as like a 70s like country vibe and then it went to like we were writing like 80s 1980s R&B kind of vibes and we and um you know we kind of talked with each other and was like this might be too far of a step and so <laughs> and and I, and I felt like no we, but it but it like it I feel like I mean you know I, I was reminded of uh like George Benson at moments listening yeah, yeah. to it because uh, yeah. just like yeah like a sweet 80s like like jazz almost mm-hmm. you know yeah and um as you know, me and Austin Jenkins and, you know, my producers and 
myself, we felt like we hit a wall creatively. And so I remember meeting Ricky Reed via Days Loaf. Um, and I did a song with Days called Liberated. And in that session, uh, Ricky encouraged me to sing a vocal that was, I thought I couldn't sing, did it. And so fast forward, we were like, yo, Ricky might be the guy to, to do it. No, no, no pressure. Let's try it out. If it doesn't work out, we'll go back and, you know, keep writing. Right. And so that's what the album is. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I mean, so let's just pause for a second, rewind and, and talk a little more about the songwriting process for you. Okay. I mean, so when you're even before you get together with whether it's Ricky or Austin or whoever, like what's your process like of beginning songs or do you try and kind of jam with everyone in the room? Mm -hmm. you know, is there a phase where you're kind of alone in whatever your creative space is that you're kind of jotting down ideas? Yeah. I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm constantly jotting down ideas. Sometimes it starts me messing around on the guitar. Sometimes there's a, a lot of times in songwriting, it can be difficult to just like only write on guitar because I feel like that can be limiting. Yeah. Um, and so like sometimes, you know, I'll, come up with a melody and put it in my voice memo or garage band but this this the process for this album a lot of it started out with like um ricky you know he had a library of different like vibes and and he would play a library yeah, yeah. it's a library uh, nice <laughs> sorry sorry not sorry <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and um and so he would play all, he would play them, and then I would just pick out which one was speaking to me. And a lot of it started out with just me, you know, being like, What was that? Okay, wait, record that. And and the whole session, you know, it's like me with the SM7 microphone and, and just like boom, 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 boom. It was like, it's really hard to like remember everything because it went by so fast like wow and so that's awesome because you know there's like the cliches about like oh you got your whole life to write your first record and they give you a year yeah. to make your second whatever the yeah, whatever the, yeah totally whatever the thing is but it sounds like you found a like you like found a confidence in what you were doing for sure and, and like i mean and to be honest with you like in the beginning of the sessions like I wasn't all the way um, for it because like it was it was a hard thing for me to be in a room with strangers who are great people but it, it like in, in in the moment it was hard to contribute ideas sometimes and then everything that we were writing was just so different from each other I mean as you can see the album is you know very a lot of variety yeah. yeah for sure and so I was like how is like this song that ain't worth the hand gonna fit with beyond and how is lions gonna like right. and, and but it's it's cool like i think it showcases you know a wide range of my artistry you know i think working on this this album just kind of like opened up new doors for me just like i don't know like creatively like it was really nice to just create without any boundaries and <laughs> and from the process of this album, I've kind of like seen within myself, like, oh yeah, I'm capable of um, anything, you know, when it comes to songwriting and that kind of. I don't know. 
Hell yeah. <laughs> yes, you are capable of anything. <laughs> Have you started Are the as the next kind of... Are you already percolating ideas? Oh, yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. And, um, and I think this album is great. Um, the third album, I feel, needs to be more focused when it comes to, when it comes to like uh, I guess more co- cohesive but uh, I, I definitely want it to be a little bit more lo-fi um, there are songs on the album like Georgia to Texas and, and, and Shy and I kind of want to expand on those I, on those concepts um, for the third album right and so you are you like already theoretically blocking off a kind of point on the calendar next year and stuff when you'll try and begin recording things man um i have to get too far no no i have i haven't yet i i I want to yeah we're going to be doing a still touring next year yeah but uh yeah i should have time like summer maybe next fall to to get get some uh writing done um but yeah i i put together this like um it's like collage of different albums and it was like um dr john it was Funkadelic, it was Jodeci, um, it was um, Frankie Beverly and, and uh, was it Ma- and Ma- Mace, Mace, mm. Mace, <laughs> um, and put all that together, and, and that's what I feel like third album needs to be. Oh wow, that so. sounds awesome! Not to rush you or anything. Can't wait to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, thank you so much. I think that's thank all I've got for you, Liam. Alright, well let's get into this next thing on episode 18 of LSQ. It's a little bit of a phone chat I did back in 2007 with Jack White, and this was when Rolling Stone magazine was about to be celebrating their 40th anniversary, and they had us interviewing an array of artists about how music and fans' relationship with music had changed over the years. So that's what you'll hear Jack talking about, well, right now. Do you think that do you think that um, from your perspective that fans relate to music differently now, you know, in the year 2007 uh, than they did, you know, when you were a kid? Yes, I think so. You know, I, I think it's, it's it's a very rough time. It's a really rough time to be a musician, uh, and it's a scary time. It's uh, the kind of thing where if you were a carpenter and you know all of a sudden. You know, there's just no work in town, you know. You know, the, in that situation, you worry, uh, carpenters worried about how to pay the bills, and, you're, and uh, right now it's just you worry how to just stay, uh, keep yourself grounded to uh, uh, why, why you started making music in the first place. Uh, through all the clouds of all of them, the MySpace and the cell phone cameras and all that jazz, you know. I mean, uh, that's, that's what's hard for me, to try to stay grounded through all that and try to pick my battles, you know. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, uh, you know, we came out and people asked us this and that about our opinions about stuff, and, you know, we just were guns blazing about everything. You know, like, uh, sorry, we don't like uh, some of these things. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, I don't know what else I'm supposed to say. Am I supposed to pretend to? I, I don't know. You know, I, I didn't know what to say. I, I still know what to say. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you, uh, all you know is what makes you feel comfortable and what doesn't. You yeah. know what I mean? And uh, the, 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 the trick has always been now to take anything that makes me feel uncomfortable and, and to turn it into more music. Well, 
Well, that brings us uh, to the conclusion of episode 18 of the LSQ podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And of course, massive thanks to Leon Bridges for taking the time to talk with me. The next episode of The Pod, episode 19, features an interview with Dirty Projectors main man, David Longstreth. So look for that in the next couple of weeks. Dirty Projectors are also about to be back on tour in North America. So dirtyprojectors.net has the info if you want to get a jump on that. And if you subscribe to LSQ right now, you'll always get the new episodes as soon as they come out. Plus, if you've got a rating or a review you care to leave, I'd appreciate it. And as always, you can reach me with feedback and so forth on Twitter, at JennyLSQ. Maybe do some binge listening and delve into recent episodes, that two-parter with Connor Oberst, or the one from earlier this year with Tegan and Sarah, also a favorite of mine. I can't believe that we're now coming up on the one-year anniversary of LSQ. I'll try and do something special to celebrate next month as well. But anyhow, for now, we're done. Episode 18, in the can. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>